right, welcome back. I'm here with Lynette Zhang once again. Lynette, thanks so much for coming back on and making the time. Oh, for you, Jay, always. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Okay, so we were just about to jump into uh, some developments at your bug out house. I was like, I got to hit record because I just <laughs> I want my audience to come on this with me. So uh, let's go down that road. So I said, how you doing? You're like, I'm exhausted. I'm getting a ton of work done at my bug out house right now. Um, let's go there first. What is your bug out house? Why do you have it? And what are you doing? Oh, okay. Well, my bug out house is a home in with lots of land. I own 41 acres um, in Northern Arizona. I won't get more specific than that, Yeah. but it is very, very rugged and it is very, very remote. And because of my studies, you know, in the, about the economy and where I a hundred bazillion percent certain the currency is, uh, the bug out house is a place where I can, I'm working on building a community for 40 people because it takes a village, right? Yeah. Uh, of different skill sets and a whole bunch of different ages. And so, um, what has been really challenging, we know food is the single biggest issue for people during hyperinflationary transitions that were, mm. we've already begun. Mm -hmm. And so uh, last year I ordered stainless steel for hot houses, which would give me enough capacity. So I have three hot houses um, up there because uh, we get winds about 150 miles an hour. So this has to be substantial yeah. to be able to grow 12 months out of the year. Unfortunately, the company that I chose to go with, I should have had my PI check it out first. So, <laughs> so well, do you have a PI just as an aside. <laughs> <laughs> Why? No, uh, I said, I love that you have a PI oh. <laughs> just as an aside. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> of course I do. Of course I do. And I should have called him and said, Hey, check this company out first. Let lesson learned for sure. Uh, because they did end up delivering all of the materials, but not putting everything together like I hired them and mostly paid them to do. Yes, right. So they left us in the lurch. And um, but now, thank God, we're able to start moving forward on that again. And mm -hmm. we got goats. And you got goats. <laughs> we got 15 <laughs> goats. I think one passed and one didn't make it. We just got them. Yeah. Uh, but we have four, 14 goats for fire mitigation. For so, fire mitigation because they keep the uh, the brush down or what's the correct thing exactly okay. exactly ah. and when you have forty one acres yeah. on the top of a mountain yeah you know yeah. fire is a big deal especially in a dry state yeah no doubt okay exactly. fascinating the goats are for fire protection and then you can eat goats and we can there's some now, utility there these are called weathers which are all male neutered goats. We okay. are going to get in mating pairs for the, you know, for um, milk, yeah. cheese, yeah, and all of that. And You're going all in. I love this. Oh, look, I've been I've been working in this arena since I was about 10 years old, thanks to my uncle Al. And honest to goodness, you know, when I look back on my life, there is absolutely zero doubt that I have been groomed for this moment in time. And I'm very happy. I'm almost 68. And what that really means is that I lived through the last transition in the 70s. And I was a teenager. So I was old enough to capture what was happening, not really understanding what was happening. That is with hindsight. Mm -hmm. But having had that experience, having been a stockbroker on Black Monday, yeah, right? Yeah. I mean, that was the best day that I could have ever been a stockbroker. People now, they don't know what that was like. They haven't lived it. I mean, mm -hmm. there are, unfortunately, there are a lot of financial consultants that, that weren't even around during 2008. So yeah. having some age and being able to look back and realizing the benefit of that age and being able to help people now, I mean, that's everything. It really is. But I'm certainly, you know, that's why I'm doing the bug out 
location it's because it's that important. And surprisingly, in um, Northern Arizona, water is not as big an issue. Interesting. We get a lot of water up there. I'm sitting on top of a fantastic aquifer. And um, yeah, it's food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth preservation, community, and shelter. Those are the things that we all need to have a reasonable standard of living. 100%. Now, okay, there's so much there that I want to pull on. Uh, first of all, just a comment, you know, I... Uh, my wife and I sort of daydream or strategize about, you know, our, our bug out house, like our acreage and, you know, not as it's, it's, it's that it's also just an appreciation for uh, a self-sustaining lifestyle. And, and, you know, we moved mm -hmm. from a city of 4 million people to a town of 20,000 people uh, four years ago. And the next move will be to somewhere more remote, but, but the important part, and you've touched on this, you're building a community for 40 people because it would be, so lonely to just go to the top of the mountain by yourself and know that you know you're sure you've got the farm you've got the ranch whatever you've got the the, the water source in theory you're good tactically speaking but from a mental health standpoint like that would just it would be quite devastating now i want to you mentioned well, i'm not really sure so sure about that. <laughs> <laughs> i want to know the truth yeah but you know, one person cannot possibly know everything and execute everything. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you have to really have a community and, and you have to think about, you know, logistically, how are you going to get there? And when are you going to, I mean, I'm using it regularly now um, and, and will continue to. So, hey, if I never need it for that purpose, it's great for my family and I totally. and friends yeah. totally. and, and all of that. But, you know, I'm not really a farmer, but I have farmers that mm -hmm. have committed to wanting to be there. Mm -hmm. I don't really know how to can, I'm going to be honest, mm -hmm. but I have people that know how to put food back. Yeah. So I have doctors, I have engineers, I have mechanics, I have my PI. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. So, um, you know, and that's all about security. So looking at the mantra and then making sure wherever you are, I mean, you could do this in the city as well, where, you know, you have all of those different people that are like-minded, which I know is challenging. I've been working on it a long time. That's probably the biggest challenge for most people is to find those that are like-minded, but mm -hmm. come together in community. Community is probably the single I mean, I know food is the biggest problem, but community is probably the single most important thing of the mantra because you need all those different skill sets. I, I agree with that 100%. Okay, now you mentioned your Uncle Al who put you on this path way back in the day. If I remember that story correctly, it was because he introduced you to a collection of precious metal uh, coins, like gold and silver coins. Is that mm -hmm. the story? And That is. So what was the trigger point and the aha moment for you um, seeing the significance of your Uncle Al's silver and gold coin collection and what it did for him and what it's done for you? You know, you know, just to, for those viewers that haven't, don't know the story, um, I was really close to my Uncle Al and he was a very high-end antique dealer. And my parents and I were at his house and he took us in the back bedroom and he had floor safes in there. And he opened up the floor safes and he said to my parents, if anything should happen to me, Aunt Birdie, his wife, will be well taken care of for the rest of her life. life. So I turned around and I looked and he had two tall floor safes. He probably had at least 3,000 ounces of gold in there. And this was 1964 when it was illegal to hold more than five ounces of gold, mm. except in the form that he was holding it, which were the pre-33 coins that mm. he would buy when he would go to homes to take care of it. That was not an aha moment for me. I was 10. Yeah. But I certainly turned around to look at what he was talking about. It wasn't until I was into my career, because I've been a banker and I've been a stockbroker as well. And you know, one day I was writing a blog 
And I just said, if you were alive like I was in 1971, and then I went, oh my God, he just gave me the biggest gift. Part of that gift was in training was also in how tangible assets move through a cycle from undervaluation to fair valuation to overvaluation to fair valuation to undervaluation. And it's constant like mm -hmm. this, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you cannot say the same thing about fiat currencies, so government debt-based currencies, or, um, you know, or their products, their Wall Street products. Those can and do historically go to zero. But a good tangible asset, particularly good money gold, good money silver, mm -hmm. right? These are real tangible assets that are used across the entire, every single sector in the global economy uses gold and silver, even in food, mm -hmm. you know? in food, in, in the financial system, in electronics, in medicine, and on and on and on, and jewelry, every single sector. And therefore, you have the broadest base of functionality because it, it works in every single sector. That's the function. And therefore, you have the broadest base of buyer. So 100% of the time you have demand sometimes more, sometimes less. And in a true supply demand economy, that's what has an impact on the price or the visible price that you see. In the economy that we're in right now, which is completely financialized, which means that everything, everything has been turned, real estate, everything has simply been turned into a trading a financial trading asset by building those contracts, those derivative contracts mm -hmm. on top of them. Well, guess what? When you have a central bank that gives away free money, right? And with interest rates anchored at zero and just printing trillions and quadrillions and then giving it to basically Wall Street and private corporations for free for them to go up and buy real assets or to gamble on the movement of, you know, like your home, real estate, right? They've turned it all into a financial asset. You can sell your house like this. You can buy your house like that. That's not really the way a stable asset really works. That's just the way Wall Street works. And what we're seeing now is a complete unraveling. And it, what's really interesting, and this is something that I've been thinking, you know, a lot about as I'm doing my work. You know, I remember in the 80s when I was a new stockbroker and all the talk was about globalization. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm not so sure this is such a great idea. And we shipped all the manufacturing, well, most of it, overseas, right? Well, now we see the result of that. And we are in a phase that is de-globalization. But I really actually think when I look at the coordinated efforts of the central banks and the fact that a new central bank, uh, an I, rather an IMF report just came out on um, eliminating even any kind of well, they want you to perceive that there's still a difference between the central bank or the central bank is independent of the government. But in this next crisis, because this is so globalized, I mean, it's, it's not just in the financial system. It's like in, in many sectors of the, um, of the entire global economy, they're talking about eliminating that separation because the central banks are out of tools. Mm -hmm. So that's just mad money printing for governments that want to spend like crazy. And when you look at what's happening right now in the U.S. between Jay Powell and the central banks fighting the inflation that they created by raising rates, even though they admit that they have no control over the inflation caused by the supply chain and the war between Russia and Ukraine, 
At the same time that you have the Fed Chair Powell raising rates to increase unemployment mm -hmm. so that they can get price stability, workers won't ask for more money when they work. Um, you have the government that is pumping a lot of stimulus into the economy to generate the inflation. Yeah. Does this make sense? No. So what conclusion? I mean, my conclusion is, is that, and, and, and looking at it even on a broader level, this is all, I can't guarantee this because I can't prove it, but this is planned. You've got schizophrenia going on between the, the, the two key drivers. And now the IMF comes out in a paper saying they shouldn't, they don't have to be separated that it would be policy would have a much more effect if they weren't separated. They just want to make sure that the public doesn't realize that they're not separated. But we've seen so much synchronicity between governments, central banks, globally. You got a question when you're seeing this divergence. Can I ask you if this is, as you said, you can't prove it, but you have your assumptions that this yeah. is planned. I want you to elaborate on that statement for me. What is the plan? What is the end game? Well, you know, the central banks gave themselves a couple big tools when they started this game of fiat money, which is the government debt-based money. They talked so much about Paul Volcker in the 70s, and he did intraday raise the Fed funds rate to 21.5, although I think on the graph it shows about 18 or 19%. Mm -hmm. That gave them a lot of ramp room to lower rates. Mm -hmm. So in this controlled economy, every time we got into, um, the, the interest rates are used to, uh, at least in theory, we're going to see it in practicality, uh, control the rate and speed of inflation. That's really the big, huge experiment that was started back in 1913. But it ramped up in the early 70s. And then again, Paul Volcker gave us, gave the central bank huge ramp room. Mm -hmm. So every time we would go into um, an overheated economy, they would, or we would go into recession rather, they would drop interest rates about five and a half to five and three quarters percent to, to stimulate borrowing and spending because mm -hmm. there's only one way to fight inflation and that's with deflation. And there's only one way to fight deflation and that's with inflation, right? So We've been anchored since 2008, 2009. We've been anchored near zero. They don't have that tool anymore. Mm -hmm. We've seen the big experiment with negative rates. And now it's such a big deal that all these countries, is, I'm thinking the ECB has raised interest rates to zero. <laughs> okay. And that's supposed to help them. They're between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. So they're at their end of interest rates. And there's also, if you look on the Federal Reserve Education Department, FRED, F-R-E-D, uh, the purchasing power, that's how much your, your money will actually buy you. Well, it's pretty much officially, it's, it's still at three cents, but we know that we juggle these numbers. So what I'm really saying to you is the game is over. Because the only thing now, and this is what negative interest rates actually did, they've already gotten inflated away your purchasing power. Now they have to attack your principal, mm -hmm. right? So when you know that the game is over, this is a con game and, every, and everybody's about to realize it through loss of confidence and hyperinflation, well, what do you do? If you create and looking back at those historic patterns when we've had a currency regime shift, they create so much chaos that's going around that you're looking over here, you're looking over here, you're looking up there, and they're changing everything underneath your feet over here. And you don't even realize it. 
back in the 70s, and it's funny because it's usually all the same kind of issues, right? So back in the 70s, we had the women's movement. We have that now. We had the oil embargo. We have the energy issues now. We had civil rights. Well, we've had those issues now. You know, um, we've had high inflation. We have those issues now. Let's see, did I miss anything? Uh, war, that's a big one. We have those issues now. So there's all of this chaos and it's about distraction. And it's about creating a big enough crisis that scares the crap out of you so that when they come in with their solution, you say, save me, Mr. Bill, save me. You just accept it. Well, they've already put in place, they did this back, I think 2019, the FedNow accounts in this country. So that in this next crisis, and they've talked about this quite a bit, in this next crisis, instead of mailing out stimulus checks, they just push a button and everybody's got an account and here's this free money. Well, as we saw on the big test that they ran with the pandemic, right? What do people do with that money? They spend it, whether they need that money to live on or it's extra money for them, read meme stocks, read, you know, mm -hmm. Reddit, trade, all of this, you know, that's what they do. They spend it. So when I say that they have this planned, we are entering a period where, I mean, I don't know how many black swans might descend on us at one time. These are things that you don't know. You can't say, well, what, what black swans do you see? There yeah. are so many, but a black swan event is an event that happens that nobody could anticipate. So yeah. I can't tell you what that could be, but the system is super fragile and it's stretched really. It's like a house of cards and any little breath could push this whole house of cards over. And while the central banks have done studies on the interconnected nature of the financial system, so if it happens in China or it happens anywhere in the world, it can travel throughout the entire global financial system. This new report just came out with um, where they studied imports, exports, investments, like a whole bunch of different sectors in the global economy and found them all to be extremely interconnected, which is part of why I say this could be a plan because this is a global issue. The events have been globally synchronized, particularly since 2008. So when you have a decoupling of that synchronization between government and central banks, suddenly after all this time, especially when they were working hand in hand, it has to make you wonder. But did they suddenly stop talking to each other? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Now, let me ask you, in order for a strategy like that to be pushed forward, there, need, there would need to be appropriate incentives, right? That's what drives human behavior. And largely it's just the accumulation of power. I mean, that, that at a micro level in your immediate community, at a macro level with our governing bodies, we're all playing a game of power, right? Every day yep. to a certain yep. degree. So talk to me about the incentives. I mean, oh, what? Huge. I mean, the incentives are tremendous because what we're moving toward is a full surveillance economy. And that whole thing is being tested in China right now, which we know that's the most surveilled country on the planet that we know of or that I know of anyway. You know, if you break up, if you jaywalk, wow, they can pull that money out of your account by the time you get to the other side of the street because of all the cameras and everything and the social scores and et cetera. But that's really what the payoff is, is the level of control over the public and the population once we go into CBDCs, central bank digital currencies. And digital currencies 
are programmable money. So in the beginning, where once they figured out that you had gold and you had silver, primary currency metal, secondary currency metal, limited quantity, I hold it, I own it, it runs zero counterparty risk, right? And I love from the Bank of International Settlements, you know, gold held at home runs no political risk. So you have good money, you hold it, you own it, it becomes invisible. And, and the central banks, because of that broad base of demand, the central banks cannot devalue this, right? So then we go to paper money, we go to, you know, we go to currency and they can control its purchasing power value through inflation which was part of the plan because they know that not one man in a million, quote unquote, understands inflation. And hey, guess what? Christine Lagarde, Jay Powell have recently admitted they don't understand inflation. Big shocker. But when you hold this, it becomes invisible. It's losing purchasing power, but it's protecting your principal. This is protecting your purchasing power Okay, and your principal. Now we go to CBDCs, which, okay, completely intangible. I mean, there's there's not even a semblance of tangibility. And that is programmable. So now if the central bank wants you to go out and spend because we're consumer driven and you decide to save, well, right now it takes 18 months for their policies to go through the system them to know, did this work? Did this not work? But once we have the CBDCs, the central bank digital currencies, you're not spending. Well, they say, not me, the IMF reports say, when we have a CBDC, there are no limits to how low we can push interest rates. So all of a sudden you've got a negative 4%, 5%, 10%, whatever that is to make you see, notice that if you leave your money in the bank, you're trying to save it, it's just evaporating. It's, it's just evaporating, right? So they're attacking your principle. You know, additionally for governments, what they say, not me, they say they can do lifetime taxes. So my goodness, couldn't they just take the, the your tax money, you earn money today, boom, they pull those taxes out. You have zero control and you have zero privacy because they can dictate where you spend that money, how you spend that money, how long you even have that money to spend before it boop, goes away. And as we saw in Canada, right, with the trucker strike, that was a completely legal strike they didn't like your politics, boom, you were cut out of the system. You yeah. better have this. And we saw it with Russia. Russia prepared by buying, you know, a lot of gold into this so that they could get around the sanctions. And of course, you know, the whole world didn't go against Russia. And that has, you know, that has really been their safety net, their gold. So it needs to be everybody's safety net, to be honest with you, because it's out of the system, it's private, and it's real. And there's the broadest base of demand. I mean, it is pretty simple. Now, okay, there's so much there that I want to pull on. And uh, <laughs> sorry, I know. No, it's beautiful. And I'm, I'm really enjoying this. So let's start. Um, I want to go back to CBDCs. I have some questions yeah. about that in relation yeah. to reserve currencies, your yeah. thoughts on that. And you've studied currency cycles for a very long time. But before mm -hmm. that, I agree. I hold physical gold and silver for the same reason that you just explained, which I may paraphrase as saying you have optionality, right? You exactly. have the optionality of you know, because most people, let's be honest, they won't. And when yeah. um, the offer comes out that says, hey, you know, say we're getting to this date where we're transitioning to a central bank issued digital currency, we're going to get there. Payments Canada is 
on, you know, on their website stating we're working on a CBDC. We have no plans to roll this out, but if and when yeah. the uh, situation changes, we want to be ready. So we could assume, yeah. you know, it's coming. So when that day comes, yes, we're going to make an exchange here, right? We're going to give up some, uh, some privacy. The privacy thing, honestly, to me, I feel like that ship already sailed. If I mean, if for if somebody like me who's, you know, I have an Apple phone, I'm on Google platform, you know, I'm a business owner, I'm on social media. And you can say, oh, you don't have to do that stuff. Great. You don't have to do that stuff, but I choose to do that stuff, right? I choose those conveniences. And there's an exchange there. I give up my privacy. I'm aware of it. You know, I've made that decision. So the additional uh, breach of privacy that would occur with a CBDC, maybe it's a bit more, but I feel like for most of us, you know, the, the keystrokes on my phone are already recorded. This whole conversation is already recorded, right? Like my search history, the files on my phone, it's already, it's it's gone. So, but the autonomy over my cash still exists. That's the big shift for me is I still have, I have autonomy over my wealth and that's the exchange. That's what I would be giving up. Well, over your wealth that is not held inside of the system. Correct, 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 correct. So for those that, so that's why I gravitate towards um, physical gold and silver. Uh, I've never bought paper gold ever, but maybe, maybe go for it. But, uh, but you know, I, I prefer the physical. And uh, we could and, have a discussion just on yeah, that, MJ. No doubt. But it gives me the optionality of when that trade mm -hmm. comes, right? I, I can choose. Whereas if you don't have any, any alternative, then, you know, that the transition occurs and, you know, Bank of Canada comes out and says, look, you make this transition, but guess what? Tomorrow morning when you wake up, there's going to be 300 bucks in your bank account. It wasn't there today, right? 99% of people are going to take that all day long. They'll take that deal, right? Of course. Well, you bet they will. Of course they will. Because you don't have the optionality of something else, right? And is that the true because value? It's free. And, and it's free. Right? I mean, this, everybody's this doing it. it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So is that at this moment in history, at this time, is that the core reason that you see value in holding, you know, silver coins, gold coins right now? Is that it? That is, that is one of the big reasons. And yes, I'm all about choices. And if you have everything in their system, they're the one with all the choices. You now have none. So where had originally in my strategy, I had thought, okay, well, once we get through this whole piece and we're on the other side of it, and there's a component of gold in the currency, because that's what history tells is going to happen, because they're going to have to get confidence back again. Then I would have converted not everything because I have legacy gold and, and different kinds of gold, mm. but I would have converted a larger chunk of my, you know, metals into the new currency. But now, since I saw the advent of the CBDCs, no flipping way. <laughs> There's no way that I would make that same choice. I will convert it as I need to spend it. So then let me ask you. Uh, in, their, in terms of their CBDCs. You know, we can stack a bit of gold and silver. And shout out to Wall Street Silver for these, these epic, this is the way coins love these. Um, Yep. You have the gold and silver in a safe. You have the bug out house in Northern Arizona. Is it enough? Are you fighting a tsunami with a bucket of water? Like what, you know, what's the, talk to me about that. That's one question that I imagine people are asking right now is like, you're, you're trying to fight the federal government with a, you know, an acreage and some, some silver. Like, is that enough? Is that enough, Lynette? Let me ask you that. You know, it, it's, is it enough? Well, time is going to tell us whether or not that it's enough, but what it, it is for me, because when things, when people get hungry and hopeless, they make a lot of choices. And as we have seen on a global basis, you have people that are now rioting. That's one thing that's happening amazingly in China, which I'm watching really carefully and closely because uh, people are now kind of pushing back from being suppressed, all that suppression, all that surveillance, and all of the garbage, because it's always the public that takes it. So I can't really answer that at this point. We'll have yeah. another conversation. But what I know is, is in my bug out location, I have food, water, energy, security, barterability. Uh, my wealth preservation is my gold and my silver. And then, uh, 
you know, and I'm building a community of like-minded people that have a bunch of different skill sets so that while it's really nasty on the streets, mm -hmm. okay, we're, we're safe. You've got right? some optionality back to that. Exactly. It's yeah. all, that's what it's all about. You're I see. hundred yeah. percent right, Jay. Mm -hmm. On the other side of this mess, then those are opportunities that present because mm -hmm. this is absolutely about wealth transfer. And sometimes mm -hmm. at a 2% inflation rate, presuming that's real, um, you know, the wealth transfers more slowly on when you're going into hyperinflation or the fast inflation that we're dealing with now, that wealth transfer happens more quickly, right? But this is what I 100% know because it's happened over 4,800 times. So something's happened the same way over 4,800 times. So we're doing the same thing. I'm thinking we're going to probably get the same results. Maybe I'm wrong. Who knows? Maybe right. this time is different, but it never really seems to be. Yeah. So because I have my wealth in gold, which is the primary currency metal, and what they do that overnight reset. So, you know, uh, you have a thousand bucks in the bank. I mean, the average is about a thousand to one when they do that reset, but it could be much more than that. It could be less than that. I don't know that. But when they do that, and I have this outside of the banking system, and I'm not worried if I wake up in the morning and I had a thousand bucks when I went to bed, now I've got a buck. I have my gold to yeah. convert into the new currency, to convert into income producing assets like real estate that's up here right now. Although, you know, we've seen, certainly seen the top of that, but it will get undervalued, especially since it has been turned into a financial product and leveraged and leveraged and leveraged. You know, I mean, you see a lot of construction going around. If I didn't do what I did for a living, I would be really naive and, and think everything must be okay. Look at all these buildings that they're building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. But those projects have been in the works for years the funding, I mean, th this is not something that turns on a dime, but yeah. they're so leveraged. There's so many opportunities that if you hold your purchasing power, you will be able to take advantage of them. So that's another part of it. Yeah. And have that wealth transfer your way. Yeah. I mean, that, that speaks volumes to me because I, you know, where I find myself battling when that is like, I'm a, I'm an optimist and I, I'll bet all day long. Yeah. On human ingenuity. And yeah. I think we're uh, on broad strokes at a high level, we're moving the right direction, right. At, at a, you know, at a long, on a long trend from a long trend standpoint and there's bumps along the road. And so for me, it's like, how do you weather the bumps? Right. And that's, that's what you just gave us. It's like, this is what this is. It's if, and when those battles come, not if, when those battles come, because they've always come, they'll come again. Right. It's just human nature, right? And they're mm -hmm. jockeying for power as we progress as a species. And so when those battles get really intense, like what's your, what's your bug out, right? It may come in the form of currency. It may come in the form of residence, right? It's important to have that bug out option. Um, okay. Back to CBDCs. How do you anticipate multiple sovereign nations, China, the United States, um, you know, Russia's looking at a gold backed uh, CBDC right now. Canada's working on whatever <laughs> our brilliant leader is working on. Uh, how do you anticipate, <laughs> how do you anticipate this shifting uh, the world reserve currency status in that game when we see these CBCs come into the forefront. Messy. <laughs> I see that really, really messy, especially, you know, you think about the advantage that the U.S. has had all these years to be the world reserve currency. And basically, we have a much higher standard or we've had a much higher standard of living than the rest of the world, which is one of the big advantages when you travel and you get to see how different people live. And this is, you know, the, the middle class in say Europe is basically what the lower class, the standard of living at the lower class would be in the US. So uh, there, there is no doubt, even though they talk about King dollar and how strong the dollar is because Fed Chair Powell is raising rates and attracting people to the dollar. 
but that is the dollar against other currencies when all currencies are losing purchasing power. It's relative. Yeah, always relative. Yeah. Exactly, isn't it? So um, I see this being really messy and scary and a lot of starvation. Um, meds are something that, you know, if you need medications, number one, we're doing medicinals. So, you know, hmm. bees and plants and different trees and things like that to stay really healthy. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, what happens is on average, 80% of the population is going to end up in abject poverty. And there will be a lot of decrease in population, typically between the very young and the very old. That's where we're going to see most of the depopulation. Um, I see us going very local for a while and bartering. That's why barterability, anything physical, gold and silver in any form is monetary at its base. Any skill sets that you have. I mean, that's ha also happening around the world right now in different places where, you know, they really are doing barter to get the goods and services that they need. Um, so that's why I say really, really messy, really messy, which is why I wanted a location. Um, can't even tell you how many tires we've lost. It's very remote, very, very, very <laughs> hard to get to. Got very it. hard to get to. Well, you know, I, I have to say that that's a trend, you know, moving that direction towards a more um, like a sovereign mindset and a self-sustaining mindset, yeah. right? Like yeah. I, I see that left, right, and center in my community. And, um, you know, that looks like a few things, but just the immediate friends that I have who have sourced out um, just a bit more land, they've moved to a bit more remote of an area and they're trying their green thumb out for the first time ever, just, yeah. you know, and, uh, yeah. And uh, the amount of friends of mine who have taken up hunting in the last five, six years, like I grew up hunting and, you know, from the time when I was like 18 to 25 or 26, it was a major part of my life. And, and uh, that made me a bit of an anomaly, to be honest, but no longer, right. It's, it's, it's going mainstream. Yeah. So it's driving this, right. Like there's definitely some, some ingrained uh, trends that are, are, are moving that direction, which is to say, like, if, if we get to, uh, you know, say, you know, the, the reshoring of, of the un deglobalization that we've, if we undo all the globalization that we've, you know, seen occur for my entire lifetime, you know, we get back to a place of needing to be more self-reliant. And, right. uh, and at a macro scale, that means maybe within the borders of your country, at a micro scale, within the locale of your community. Um, and people are becoming, maybe even if they're not aware of it, more prepared for that to a, to a degree, which is, I, I think just... Yeah. Yeah. Which is just like good business. I mean, right. you know, we've, we've had some pretty, uh, like I, I joke all the time, but it's like, maybe as somebody who lives in the Pacific Northwest, I shouldn't anticipate ripe bananas in January. Like maybe that's not a reasonable expectation that I've developed here. Maybe mangoes exactly. on the shelf in February when there's snow outside doesn't make any sense unless, you know, you've got the hot house going right. And, right. and it's grown locally, but obviously they're not. And so but we developed this, uh, this, this taste and expectation of like on demand, everything right now, cheaper, cheaper, more. Right. And, and, and have we not seen what that on demand when it's produced, you know, far away? Yeah. I mean, we can see the breakdown of the supply chain and it should not really be shocking to anybody that they're still not fixed or repaired because we're depending upon a different geopolitical area in many cases for our goods and services. And, yeah. you know, I mean, th there are some homeless people up in that area. So I buy food and I buy like, not what I would eat, but, you know, I buy the prepackaged kind of stuff. Right. Okay. And it, what's been really interesting for me to do that because that's not typically what I would buy anyway, is there might be two up there and I'll pull them off the shelf and there's nothing behind it. So even when the grocery store shelves make an attempt to make it look full, it's not full. And that's the whole piece with this just in time, as you pointed out, you know, most grocery stores have enough goods on the shelf for three days 
and yeah. maybe in the warehouse for three days. So yeah. they have six days worth of food. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah. We, we got a taste, right? In 2020, yes. we got yeah. a taste. That's when I went and did my bug out house because I have, I put in an urban farm here when 2008 happened. I knew the system died. I mean, I, I knew it. So that's when I bought this much bigger property. I was living in a little two bedroom condo, getting ready to retire, travel, close the door, lock it. I'm on my way. And all of a sudden, all my chance, all my plans changed. Like yeah. at that Lehman moment, I went, holy crap, the system just died. And that's what it did. And regardless of the fact that they printed trillions and trillions and trillions and probably quadrillions that we don't even know about to keep things looking like it's still viable when sure. it's no longer viable. But in April of 2020, when they had riots not too far from me, and I live in a very nice neighborhood mm -hmm. and not too far from my children, and they mm -hmm. live in a very nice neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I thought, there's the hole. There's the hole. I don't have any place to go. And that night, I slept with a gun in my bed. Whoa. Now, right. And I said, uh, no, no, mm -mm, not okay with me. Wow. Now, subsequently, I have also put, um, those roller shields on my entire house. Those are the ones like dropped in over your windows? Mm -hmm. Yeah, interesting. Bulletproof, wow. you can't get in. So, you know, if I do indeed have to be up at my bug out location for months or years or whatever that turns out to look like, this house will be locked up tighter than a drum. Security, so important. I can't move everything, nor do I want to try and move what I have in my home, but I do want it secure. I want you to yeah, I take this very seriously. Yeah, very <laughs> I know seriously. you do. I find it so fascinating. Okay. Now I want you to take a minute and speak to my audience who at this point in their life does not have as many resources as they would like, right. To begin this process. They they're hearing what you're saying. They're agreeing with what you're telling them. They believe and they believe in your conviction, um, but they're living paycheck to paycheck and, yeah. you know, they yeah. don't have anything in the safe and they don't own their residence. So they can't leverage the, like all the, all these things, right? Like yeah. where do they start? I mean, you, you got to start marathons one by taking step one, step two, right? So what's, yeah. where do you begin? And, and that's where I was going to go, you know, is how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? So you look at your circumstance and this is how I did it for myself too. Because uh, you got to understand, I've been working on this for a very long time. But, you know, you take a look at your circumstance and you take the mantra, food, water, energy, security, barterability, wealth, preservation, community, and shelter. And you ask yourself, where do I feel the most vulnerable? If you're living from paycheck to paycheck, that could be money, right? And so you need to accumulate real money. But mm -hmm. there's all different ways to do it. You know, ideally, this is the most recognizable way. But, you know, I mean, I would go to yard sales forever. And there would be like sterling silver, which is 92.5% pure, right? And somebody would say to me, oh, I don't want to, you know, polish that. I'll buy it for a buck. You know, I can't tell you that that is not so easy to do anymore. But yeah. if you are very limited in your finances, then you can go to like antique malls and, you know, you can make a phone call who deals in silver. Hey, what do you have that's broken and dinged and, you know, falling apart? It doesn't matter. You just care about the weight. That's mm -hmm. all you care about. Mm -hmm. Right. So you start to build that because, like I said earlier, Gold and silver in any form is monetary at its base. I think is my chopstick in here. I don't know, but I even have a sterling silver uh, set of chopsticks. Right? You do. I do. I do. I don't know where it is at the moment because I'm still a little discombobulated from what I've been doing in the house. Yeah. But you know, so it doesn't matter. So you, but you, you build that wealth foundation with real money. And there are ways to do it. I mean, where's, where's spot silver, which is a contract, right? 
it's like not even 19 bucks an ounce. Now you're going to have to pay a little more for that. But if you go to that antique dealer, he may or she may not really be aware yeah. Of, yeah. of that, right? So there's a way to accumulate. And then you step back. So you you don't, I'm not saying you fill that in 100%, but you fill it into a level of comfort. And then you go, okay, where do I feel the most vulnerable? You know, when I bought this house, this house has, um, it, it was built in 1929. So the doors, the back door was kind of flimsy, right? And I always felt really vulnerable because somebody could just come up and boom, kick it. And they're in my house. So, so when I had my gold and silver, the first thing I did was I put a security door on that door because okay. I felt very vulnerable, right? Yeah. So that's how you do it. You just look at the whole mantra and wherever you feel the most vulnerable, you do something about it so that you're not as vulnerable and you just kind of work through all those pieces. You know, yeah, that's just, that's just good process. And you know, what you described at a high level is compartmentalization, right? Like when you're yes. dealing with mm -hmm. a big problem, whether that's a business issue, family, you know, it can feel so daunting. It's like, where do I even start? This thing is just, it's drowning yes. me, this 800 pound gorilla on my back. And, you know, you never attack a problem that way by like swallowing it all, right? You, you can't, you pick it's a vulnerable possible. spot and attack, right? One little piece at a time. And that's it. And you know, that's it's really valuable stuff because you're right. And, you know, surprisingly, the, the can can always get kicked down the road far farther than any of us think. And so does, you know, we can obsess over the macro issues, but does this mean life will change tomorrow or in three years or in five years? You don't know, but you can start today. Mm -hmm. You know, if you can afford, yeah, exactly. $19 spot silver. Can you afford that on a weekly basis? That, that's, where, that's a good place to start, right? It's a great place to start. You know, yeah. it really is. And, and it doesn't matter if it's, that's the piece, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, especially when you're talking about silver and gold, you know, give me broken chains. I don't care. You know, give me dented candlesticks. I don't care. Sure. Yeah. Right. I'll buy them. You don't want them. Awesome. I'll buy them. No problem. You know, so, and that yeah. The, the hardest part to manage through a crisis is often your, for me, I, I should only speak personally, is my mental health. Like when things go Correct. real south, you know what I mean? And if my back's against the wall and I don't have options, I'm just, I make poor decisions, right? I think shorter term, I'm more reactive, right? And I'm, I'm not putting my best foot forward. When I began to accumulate precious metals, what it did for me is give me a sense of confidence, Right. Yes. And allowed me to slow down and be more patient in my decision making. So I got three super young kids. I got, you know, I think differently than I did seven years ago when I had none, you know. Right. And uh, and now it's like what I appreciate most is the sense of patience, confidence, and uh that, that gives me, right? And that's that's optionality. That's all that is, is knowing that if my back's against the wall, I got options, right? And having those options makes me think about the world differently. Hmm. Exactly. You said it really, really well. Interesting. You know, and, and it is funny because people look at me now and they go, well, look at it. Oh, you've done all this stuff. You know, I mean, I can't even tell you, I'm not a gardener, but you know, I, I had the gold and the silver and I bought this property and I started, my, my initial goal was to feed my family. So 20 people between yeah. my siblings and my children at that time, et cetera. And, um, but now I planted the whole thing out, but it's taken me 12 years, yeah. you know, 12 years to get to this point. Mm -hmm. So the sooner you start, it's like, I, I got to eat a mango from my mango tree this morning. And it Amazing. was so sweet and so wonderful. And I think we tweeted it. And I said, the sooner you plant a tree, the sooner you get to eat from it. Because I yeah. can't even tell you how many people would say to me, oh, but you have to wait five years or so long before you get, you know, to eat it. Yeah, you're well, right. <laughs> the sooner you start, the sooner you get the food. So now yeah. I've got my pecans. I planted the tree in 2013. And this year, I actually have a reasonable harvest. Yeah. It's interesting. Okay. Well, as soon as you said that, it's funny how the just-in-time programming impacts all facets of our life, including wealth accumulation. I need to be rich tomorrow, yes. right? Yes. 
from my of mango course. arrival. So let me but... gamble. Let me <laughs> let me buy this meme stock. Let me do this and let me do that. But I don't really know how to protect myself so that I get to keep my gains. Yes. Right. Yeah. I'm a I'm a very I think that's another place where age really helps me because mm. you know growing up I wanted a Super 8 camera for those that are my age they'll know what that is but it was like a a, a movie camera right yeah. that I could take movie pictures with and I worked and I saved up my money I believe it was 80 bucks at that time which was a lot of money back in the 70s mm-hmm. um and that camera had so much meaning to me because I knew how hard I worked for it and mm. it took me quite some time to actually be able to buy it. Now, look at this buy now, pay later. Oh yeah. my God. Do yeah. you know, I just did a report on this, that in this past year, there has been a 95% increase in people using buy now, pay later for food. Whoa. I didn't food. know Food. Right. I mean, that's, can you imagine? So now you're going to the grocery store, you're buying it today, you're eating it, you know, today, tomorrow, whenever you're eating it, it's gone. Hmm. And you're still paying for it for another, I don't know, three, four, six weeks. This is for, hold on, for basic groceries. Is that what we're talking about? For groceries, 64% for restaurants. So people haven't learned. They're going out to a restaurant But yeah, for basic groceries, the buy now, pay later apps have increased in this past year, 95%. Wow. Oh my God. And typically, I mean, people use them right across the spectrum, but typically these are people that really can't afford what they're doing anyway. Grow a garden. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I mean, buy seeds, rinse them off three days later, you know, you've got sprouting seeds, you've got, you know, live food. And I'll bet you if they even drilled down, which I didn't, I wasn't able to see, but I'll bet you there's a lot of things in there like Cheetos and sodas and yeah. sugar crap and things that fog your brain and don't help you think clearly. So you don't even you're not able to make good decisions. Well, there's there's so much there. And at first, it kind of like hurts my soul to hear that because you think about oh, people who are in hardship and have to yes. finance their groceries. And and then, you know, you you, you miss, you, then you land on the education front, right? Um, you, you just touched on it there, nutrition, but that's programmed as well. If you look at what oh, foods yeah. are eligible for food stamp, um, for example, for, as an example, like not cooked foods, you can't go buy that rotisserie, rotisserie chicken with food stamps. You can buy Coke and Doritos, right? But that's this, that's the, you know, that, that's how the platform functions, you know? So how can you expect people to think differently when that's, that's the, uh, that's how the platform's been rolled out. Um, that's fascinating. I have to look into that. I, I was unaware that you were even oh. able to finance groceries, um, and that it had been growing at that rate. I'm so curious who finances this and what's the collateral that needs to be put up in exchange for your uh, collateral, right? Like, I mean, right. When I came across that stat and I looked into it, I was really shocked too. And I had the same reaction that you did, you know, and I, I do a lot um, with the community in like the schools, we go in and we teach them how to garden. We put in the gardens for them. So we're, we're trying to, you know, there's a CFLA, which is a, a school for home insecure kids. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So they might be living in a car, they might be living here or there, but it, they're home insecure. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really interesting to me when we put in the garden and then we have parties, I mean, so this is something that we support the school system on a very regular, every month, actually, to be honest yeah. with you. Okay. Uh, cause, cause my feeling is, is if these kids have something to look forward to every month, then they might be able to break out of the cycle that their families have put them in. Yeah. But one of the big pieces was food. And the last time that I we went and we had a, a spring party 
and where they harvested the garlic and the tomatoes and the peppers and all of these things. And I'm talking to the kids and I said, oh, look at this. We can make salsa. We can do this. You know, do you like garlic? Do you like this? Do you like lettuce? Do you, you know, and they looked at me like, kind of like I did not have one child not look at me like I had two heads. <laughs> garlic, I'm, you know, I'm pretty sure you're eating garlic and yeah. some form or another. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. the that's the job and that's part of being you know i've got the community up on the mountain that i'm working on but that's also a big part of being a member of your community right right here right yeah. now love that is yeah it, it's so critically important because the kids are our future you know i mean that that's our future that's just not not 68 year old grandmas mm. like me it's your kids. It's my grandkids. It's, it's kids. They are our future and we have to show them a better way because we've been taught to think short-term, 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 short-term. But, you know, uh, the planning that the central bankers do is not short-term planning. The planning that the governments do, not short-term planning. Yeah. So we think short-term but they don't. And I'm, I'm really, I'm grateful for my age. <laughs> I'm very yeah. grateful for my age. I am. Well, it, you know, again, it, it just, it all comes back uh, for me anyways, back to the importance of optionality and sovereignty, because how can you not think short-term if, you know, you are struggling paycheck to paycheck and it's like, you know, I'm not worried. I mean, this is like, and then at a macro level, like I, you extrapolate that to like the energy crisis occurring in Europe. I wonder how this rolls out this summer, sorry, winter. And, you know, you look at the, uh, the energy shortages and the cost increases of energy, some are like up to uh, like 10 X in certain locations yeah. in Germany and the UK. Uh, people rethink their moral stance on uh, hot war conflicts when they're trying to pay the heating bill next week. Yeah. Right. And so, well, do you know that, um, when I, I did this study, because obviously I've been studying currencies and currency life cycles. And when they were setting up this fiat money, fiat is just government-based money. They actually stated that, you know, that if um, in, with, through, through the inflation, people would not realize it because as inflation grew, as their money lost purchasing power, and they were not keeping up with the standard, their incomes were not keeping up with, with the rate of inflation, they would be distracted. So they would be too busy thinking about their day-to-day -day existence and ignoring this over here. So you've got to understand that with governments and with central banks, it's always misdirection. They send you in this direction so that they can do their thing over here and yeah. they they make it, they state that they make it really complicated because when they do that, nobody questions them. Mm. Problem is, is they make it so complicated that they can't even understand it anymore. Like yeah. Cal and Christine Lagarde. Yeah, well, we don't really understand inflation. Shocker. <laughs> <laughs> Call me. Right. I'll explain it to you. Hey, I'll wait for your call, Jay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, where I want to leave this then is just, you know, there, there are micro steps anybody can take, you know, and, mm -hmm. and those micro steps compound over time and have a profound impact on your mental health and psychology and ability to plan further down the road. And um, shout out to Morgan Housel, who, who defines savings as the gap between your ego and your income. It's like, there's always something there, right? Savings is just whatever's between what your ego needs, what your income is. And, and most of us actually are inverse, right? Our ego exceeds our income. So we live in the, you know, a, a debt-based uh, life, but, you know, um, it's, it's an interesting line to sit on and think about. Um, yeah, that it, is. You know, so look, Lynette, this has been awesome. Where can I point people to who want to hear more from you and, and catch up on what you're up to? Oh, definitely. Uh, well, for one thing, we have two websites. So we have the itmtrading.com, where it's all about the financial and gold and silver. And we create strategies based upon those repeatable patterns. So we're very easily accessible. 
Uh, we also have a new channel called Beyond Gold and Silver, which talks about the rest of the mantra. And we have YouTube channels on both of those. So BGS or Beyond Gold and Silver and where we talk about, well, you know, every week I produce a piece on, on my mantra so that people can see how, why you need these different pieces to be secure in your life. Uh, but we try and meet people wherever they are. If this is absolutely brand new to you, we've got real basics that you can take actionable steps. If you don't have a lot of money, if you have so whatever budget, whatever experience uh, you are, we try, we're creating a library and a resource and a community to help you wherever you are, wherever you are. Um, so ITM trading, we teach you about the life cycles and we help you create that strategy and beyond gold and silver, you know, we help you meet the rest of those needs. And uh, we can also, we love human contact. So 888-696-4653 is a great number to call us at and set up a time to figure out your own strategy that's based on your goals. Got it. And your circumstances, what you have to work with. And you get to talk to a real person. Is that what happens? Oh, yeah. <laughs> we love that. I mean, we're kind of old-fashioned in that way. And novel. This isn't just a transaction. This really is a relationship that goes through and beyond the trend cycle that we're in right now. They have a plan. You need to have a plan, too. I love that. All right. Well, thank you for coming back on, Lynette. It's awesome catching up with you. And uh and uh, appreciate that you let me run over time because I just, I could keep going forever. So thanks so much. There's thanks a lot again. to talk about. Thank there you is. for having me. It's been great. And I look forward to doing it again. If you enjoy my content, do me a favor, follow or subscribe to this podcast, drop me a rating and a review and share this with a friend. All of these things allow me to get bigger and better guests on the show. Now you can catch me all over social media at jmartinbc. Thanks for tuning in.